0: Just last week, uh, Stephen King gave some advice to writers, saying that there was one word they needed to stop using. King is uh, the best-selling author of The Shining, Misery, Carrie, It, The Green Mile, many other horror novels. The ad- advice he gave to writers was to stop using the word Amazing. He said, it's a very tired word, and it needs a long, long vacation. He said, please don't write about your amazing party, your amazing girlfriend's amazing dress, or your amazing vacation. Something more pungent and specific, please. Well, he's right. When the word amazing is used to describe all kinds of ordinary things, it sort of loses its power. But that is exactly the word to describe Jesus. We're studying the Gospel of Mark as he records the life of Jesus, as he identifies him in the very first verse, the the Son of God, the Savior of the world. When people heard what Jesus said and saw what Jesus did, they were amazed. They were amazed. Uh, Many translations of the bible would simply use the word amazing in this passage that we're studying this morning because it's an accurate depiction of the words that mark uses but it's interesting that in this section of scripture that we're looking at this morning mark actually uses three different greek words to describe what jesus the reaction that jesus is getting from the people Uh, uh, These three different words all, all mean astonished, astounded, flabbergasted, amazed. This was the reaction that was created as Jesus said and did so many incredible things. Now, that reaction is what ties the incidents that we're looking at this morning together. There are five different scenes that uh, I want us to look at as we continue in our study. Five different scenes uh, that that are all tied together by this reaction of the people of amazement, astonishment. So we'll look at these scenes and then discover the, the greater lesson that God has for us through this. The first scene Jesus shows amazing authority. See, with, with his new followers, Jesus goes to the synagogue in Capernaum. And the synagogue is simply a, a gathering place for Jewish men to learn the Scriptures. And there in the, at the synagogue, Jesus is invited to teach. And verse 22 says, the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. So they were amazed. They were bowled over, struck down, knocked out, astonished. Why? Well, it was about the power of his teaching. The emphasis here is not, not on the delivery, but on the strength of the truth, the authority, the power of the truth. See, the teachers of the law that they heard normally in the synagogue, the, the scribes, they, they studied the law in depth and they interpreted that law for the people. Their authority was based on quoting other rabbis. Jesus didn't quote any human. His words came straight from the Father. He is the eternal Word of God Himself. And it's not that His teaching ability was necessarily better than anything they heard. It was qualitatively different. It was right. It was influential. It was authoritative. And that authority that amazed them such uh, went beyond simply what He said but also what he did, the very next verse, verse 23. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? How how, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Right away we learn that this is a a demon, not an illness. Uh, Demon possession, a tactic that Satan used to hinder Jesus' ministry. Knowing as 1 John 3, 8 tells us that Jesus came to destroy the devil's work. And so this evil spirit reacts to being in the presence of the Holy One of God. Now Jesus didn't come to deal with one demon, he came to conquer the entire kingdom of darkness. But here he confronts, is confronted by this demon-possessed person who, who, uh, by the way, there was this Ancient belief in that time that you could control someone if you knew their true identity and spoke it aloud. And perhaps that's what the demon is attempting by publicly identifying this Jesus. Notice how Jesus responds, verse 25. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching? And with authority, he even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. So with simple authority, he silences the spirit and casts him out. And after a convulsion and a scream, the man is released from that possession. This, by the way, is the first miracle that Mark tells us about in his gospel. The first miracle that Jesus does in Mark's gospel. Where Jesus is waging war against the power of the devil. And again and again, people are amazed and a little alarmed they're, they're amazed and alarmed about his authority every last one of them this is out of the realm of their experience and so as a result Jesus became quickly the talk of the town and the country but don't take astonishment for faith they were astonished they were amazed yes but they weren't lining up to believe and follow Jesus significant point. point second scene Jesus shows amazing power. Truly he does this throughout, but just notice here in this section of Scripture, uh, illness was no match for his power. Uh, effortlessly he begins by healing a woman who's burning up with fever. She's Simon's mother-in-law and immediately shows that that, that cure is, is completely effective as she helps serve them food. But there were not just one or two cases. They were not isolated incidents. Uh, Once word got out, crowds surrounded Jesus for healing. So much so, verse 32, that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. So all were brought, many were healed. Mark is not telling us that Jesus didn't heal all who came. He's telling us that the total was great. And they just kept carrying them in. I want you to know that this is the Sabbath day. Therefore, uh, they could, as Jews, they could not travel far during the Sabbath. Uh, and so it was at sundown that they could travel. And so they began to arrive probably late until the night, bringing, desperate for a remedy to their diseases and sicknesses, they, they bring uh, to where Jesus is all these people and He healed them. And after forcing out the demons... This passage tells us that he muzzled them. In a sense, he told them not to declare his name. Uh, That's another theme in Mark. Now was not the time to tell everyone who he was, but Jesus shows amazing power over the spirit world, over sickness. Third, Jesus shows amazing popularity. Uh, That just keeps building through this whole section of Scripture. So he's just spent a tiring evening... uh, healing people, ministering to their needs, probably late until the night. And yet what happens is that he gets up very early the next morning, verse 35, while it's still dark, and he goes off to pray by himself. Jesus draws strength from his fellowship with the Father. And if Jesus, the perfect Son of God, needed that, drew strength from that, how much more do I need that? How much more do you need that? Now, the disciples don't get this. Remember, the last scene that they had was all the people crowding around, uh, Jesus healing them late into the night, and now they get up in the morning and he's not around. And so, verse 36, Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. So they tracked him down. The expression here, by the way, is slightly hostile. It's not, well, I wonder where Jesus is. There's a slightly hostile tone to this. They hunted him down. And when they say, everyone is looking for you, it suggests that they're trying to control Jesus. The wording here suggests that they're they're trying to manipulate him into facing his fans. Because they're saying, you know, you're really on a roll, Jesus. Don't hide. Don't go off by yourself. You're a celebrity now. You can really draw a crowd. They're thinking that he be. He'd be thrilled with fame, notoriety, that uh, drawing a great crowd would be a wonderful thing. Uh, They don't understand that popularity is not what Jesus wants. He knows that the crowd's interest in Him is at this point self-centered and superficial. Self-centered and superficial. They're not coming to Jesus for the reasons He wants them to come. I know that it's been decades and decades at least where churches do whatever they can, it seems, to draw crowds. That certainly became very popular in the last 20, 30 years, trying to draw a crowd, doing whatever we can to do so. I, I think it's getting more and more and drawing fewer and fewer, but that's what many churches attempt to do. I, I could give you so many examples, but I'm just going to pull from a, a recent one that happened in October. October. All right, uh, That was, their, was a theme of attracting people through Halloween type of activities. There, there was a church in Nebraska that held a zombie walk where more than a thousand people dressed as zombies gathered in the church parking lot. And what caught my attention was how the, the church promoted it on its website. And I quote, this will be a great way to let the city know who we are. I don't follow that logic. Uh, Florida Church had a sermon series called Spooktacular, and and I won't give you all the sermon titles names, but the services included things like the song Bad to the Bone performed with dancers dressed as skeletons. That's the picture that you have there. And I I could give many examples here, and and let me say that attracting people to hear the message of of the good news of Jesus Christ is not necessarily a bad thing at all. I just want you to see that that was not Jesus' approach. That was not his approach at all. So the disciples panic and come looking for him, say, hey, everybody's looking for you. Look at his answer. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So Jesus, everybody's looking for you, there's a big crowd. Let's go somewhere else. Why? He didn't feed the attraction. He went away from the crowd because his main purpose was not to do miracles. It was to declare the good news and leading him to the cross to die for the sin of the world. Healing needed to be done. Demon dealing needed to be done, but they don't define his mission. They authenticate who he is. And people were amazed by his words. They were amazed by his his work, but that was not the goal. That's not why he came. Fourth, Jesus shows amazing compassion. Amazing compassion. Verse 40, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. If you are willing, you can make me clean. So you've got to appreciate that this guy with leprosy is breaking all the rules. And there were rules. Because leprosy was not something to tamper with in ancient Israel, the ancient world. The law said a leper must wear torn garments, must leave his hair uncombed, must cover the lower portion of his face and shout, unclean, unclean, if anybody was around. Why? Because this is an infectious disease. And so therefore, a a person with leprosy must live alone, separate from the people, and if anybody comes near you, shout and warn them away. What does this guy do? He comes and throws himself at Jesus' feet. And he begs for help. Notice what he doubts here. He doesn't doubt that Jesus can do it. He just doubts whether Jesus is willing to heal him. Is that going to be your desire, Jesus? I know you can heal me. Will you? And notice how Jesus responds to someone that other people avoid. Filled with compassion, verse 41, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cured. Now, appreciate that compassion involves feeling. Certainly it does. The word, uh, the, the, the word for compassion here in the Greek language that Mark wrote in literally refers to your innards, to speak. I think that's a Texas thing. To, to your insides. Your, your stomach churns. Your heart breaks over a person, over a situation. You have great compassion. It, there's feeling involved. But it's more than that. It's more than emotion. It, it's something that leads to action. This word for compassion, it, it's something where you don't just feel, you act. You do something. Uh, Last month, California deputies responded to a traffic hazard call. When they got there, they found an elderly woman in a motorized wheelchair in the road, and the wheelchair was out of power. Well, the deputies could not get this chair into the patrol car. And so, uh, this is dash cam video, which I just took a still of, but uh, this is... uh, Deputy Martinez pushing this wheelchair to this lady's home a mile away. And Deputy Chapman followed in the car. He must have, I don't know, maybe had more seniority. And during the trip, on the, on the video, you can hear Chapman yell to his partner, hey, you can pick up the pace, you're going less than one mile an hour. Even the old lady thought that was hilarious. But this this was built by, look at the compassion. Compassion is so rare in our world, it makes news. I'm not sure these guys went out of their way doing their job, but it's labeled compassion and it makes news, that's how rare it is. Jesus was moved emotionally and into action and he touches the untouchable. He cures the incurable. And it happens immediately. Uh, Jesus warns this, this leprous man, now healed, not to say anything. Can you imagine? Here's a guy that's been shut off from his community, his family. Uh, he can't earn a living. He has to stay apart from people and cry out unclean. And now he's healed. And, and Jesus says, don't say anything. Don't tell anybody. Jesus didn't want the reputation of a, just another healer. He could have spent his entire three years of ministry simply healing the sick and raising the dead and doing miracles. But he didn't come to deal with the temporary effects of sin. He came to destroy the root of it all. Well, you can imagine, though, this guy can't help himself. His life has changed. He he tells everybody. Mark says he went out preaching to everyone what Jesus had done. And so words spread. And And Jesus couldn't even go into the town anymore. Here now, the leper healed. He can return to society. The healer has to stay away. Fifth, Jesus shows amazing insight. We move into chapter 2. Jesus returns to Capernaum. Capernaum. And people hear about it, and they surround the building where he is. They they surround the house where Jesus is at. And so there's no room for anybody, not even any room outside the door. And Jesus uses this opportunity, surrounded by people, to preach. The crowds came for miracles, and they got a sermon. And, And by the way, whenever Mark tells us about a crowd, it's not a positive thing. Whereas you might see crowds are a sign of success, Uh, No, Mark gives us this idea that crowds crowds obstruct access to Jesus. Crowds get in the way of Jesus. Crowds are distracted by the wrong things, drawn by the wrong things. And here, the crowd was an obstruction. Verse 3, Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd... They made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat, the paralyzed man was laying on. Lying on. So, the average house in that day was a one-room, flat-roofed structure. The roof was made of wooden beams, uh, thatch, and packed dirt. And usually there was an outside stairway leading to the roof. In their desperation to get to Jesus, these four friends tore apart the ceiling and lowered him down into the middle of the sermon. Jesus calls their actions faith. He has insight into the motives of their heart as to why they're there. And God certainly rewards those who diligently seek him, the Bible says. God, uh, Jesus taught again and again that, that, that God answers persistent prayer. So I just want to encourage you today to bring your concerns to Christ. No matter what the obstacle, no, no matter how long the delay, how discouraged you might be, keep bringing your concerns to Christ. Christ, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Uh, Interesting, they go to all this trouble to bring Jesus this paralyzed friend and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Doesn't seem like his greatest need, does it? But at that time, It was believed that anyone who suffered did so because they had sinned or their parents had sinned. That's not the case. That's not how God works. Uh, You you suffer some uh, catastrophic failure, some health illness. Um, It's not because you sinned, specifically. God may discipline His children in various ways, but just because you suffer something doesn't mean it's the result of your sin. But, All illness and failure and loss is the result of the fact that we have sin in this world. Every problem we have has as its root cause sin. Without sin there would be no disease, failure, fear, death, anywhere. Jesus has insight into this man's real condition and he calls attention to our deepest need which is forgiveness. Now to say that thing would be blasphemy because you're claiming to be God. And the religious leaders think this. They say, this is blasphemous. They're thinking this. They can't believe it. And notice verse 8. Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said, which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Jesus has insight into the thoughts of these leaders, and by the way, neither giving forgiveness or healing is something humans can do in and of themselves, but forgiveness isn't something you can prove, but healing you can. So the fact that this man stood up and walked left them with nothing to say. Jesus did the visible miracle to prove that he could do the invisible miracle and the response was immediate. Verse 12, he got up, took his mat, walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. So you got an instant cure. That's Mark's word that he uses throughout, immediate, seen by everyone. They're all amazed, even the skeptics. And these miracles and the forgiveness of sins are shouting out that jesus the holy one of god is here the messiah is here it's authenticating who jesus is and and this is the response of the people that ties the whole passage together they're amazed they're astonished by what jesus says and does and crowds gather but that's not what jesus is after he avoids the crowds he prioritizes preaching over performing miracles he points he points to sin as the biggest problem see really people are the same today Uh, people hunger for the spectacular and sensational and miss their greatest need we have a country filled with people hungering for the spectacular and the sensational and ignoring their deepest need you know there are some churches and individuals who claim that god sprinkles gold dust as a sign of his glory and so that if you pray hard enough if you pray the right way that Gold dust will appear on your hands or your arms, or gold dust will filter through this room. And there are many, many videos of this online. But th- these alleged miracles create attention and questions and ridicule. Um, listen to what one guy posted to the online community Reddit. He said, Today my deeply religious mother comes to me with this video about gold dust falling down from the ceiling as if it's this will finally convert me. Does anyone have evidence to show that churches are faking this gold dust? He asked. So many, many responded and said, this is fake and phony. Just a couple of the comments. Uh, One says, even if it were happening, why does that point to God? Another one said, I'm pretty sure that there aren't any Bible verses that say, you shall know me by the gold dust that falleth from the ceiling." But why is this so popular? People hunger for the sensational. And I would say that, that, that what, drawn together by, by this word amazing, this whole passage, that, that one thing we should grab from this, this bigger issue that we should grab from this, is don't come for miracles, come for mercy. That that's what God is calling us to in Christ the mercy that we so desperately need. Our desire for Jesus, our love for Him, our worship of Him must not be wrapped up in the miraculous. It cannot be tied to getting what we want or think we need. It must focus on a God who deals with our sin because Christianity is not about being amazed with supernatural wonders. It's about forgiveness. God wants worshipers, not miracle mongers. And we can be like spoiled children. Bless me, Heal me, give me, please me. And we crowd around Jesus looking for benefits and blessings. Anxious to see the spectacular. And Jesus calls him us to himself. He, he doesn't want any allegiance that comes through amazement and astonishment only. Now doesn't he do miracles? Yes. But he has a bigger plan. Could a child of God get cancer? Certainly. Does that mean they've failed? No. Can God cure it? Absolutely. Will he? Sometimes. What should we do? Trust him no matter what he does. The perfect God-man, Jesus the Messiah, the resurrection and the life is miraculous, astonishing, amazing. But Jesus didn't come to amaze, he came to save. And I'm deeply concerned that our nation has too many churches catering to people looking for the spectacular for a spectacle instead of a Savior. Don't come today looking for a spectacle. Look for the Savior. I'm alarmed that so many people calling themselves Christians are more focused on God giving them their best life now than on what God has already given to us in Christ. If your faith is in Jesus as the one who took the punishment for your sin died a gruesome, bloody death and three days later was raised to life so that all who believe could cross over from death to life, then you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. You don't need the spooktacular. You don't need the gold dust. You are redeemed, not with perishable things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. You've been transformed from darkness to light, death to life, sinner to saint, lost to found, chained in sin to free in Jesus. So live every day in praise to the one who changed your identity and your destiny. Don't come for spectacle. Come for the Savior. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your grace to us that you have shown in so many, many different ways. We thank you that we have a Savior and his name is Jesus. Lord, may we not as a church ever lose that as our focus. May we triumph and trumpet about the words of the good news of the gospel, the message that changes lives and saves us and changes us into sons and daughters of the living God. Lord, we give you thanks for your precious Son, Jesus, for your willingness to come even to the point of death on the cross. And Spirit of God, we pray that your presence among us now would stir us to be a people according to your name. We pray this through Jesus our Lord.